We're going to be looking this morning uh, at the Lord's Prayer, specifically the request, Hallowed Be Your Name. So if you look with me, you can find the text printed in your bulletin. Uh, It's taken from Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. This is God's Word. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Would you pray with me? Uh, Father, as we look at your word now, I I do pray that you would uh, speak through me. Uh, Speak over and above me and even against me if necessary. Uh, But Father, work through the proclamation of your word so that we would be people who knows what it means and even know better how uh, to hallow your name. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I think one of the greatest inventions of my lifetime is the self-checkout line. Like, I know some of you can't remember the days when there was no such thing, uh, but self-checkout lines, unless you've got like a bag of avocados and don't know the, the produce code, you know, some situation like that, for the most part, they're, they're one of the most glorious things, most glorious inventions around. Why is that? Well, you don't have to deal with another person. It's quick. You get what you want, and then you move on to the important stuff in life, right? I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm here to do this, I, I get it, and I'm out of here. I think sometimes that's what we would like prayer to be like. Like, we, we kind of view God as the checkout person that we've got to go through at the, the prayer grocery store. And we would prefer if maybe God wasn't there at all, so I could just bring in my list and get what I want, and it would be quick and painless, and then I could get on to the important stuff of life. Uh, Richard Pratt in his book, Pray With Your Eyes Open, says that in the average 10-minute prayer, most of us spend less than 60 seconds actually focusing on God. And he says this, when we focus too much on what we need, we are bound to forget the one whom we need. When we focus too much on what we need, we are bound to forget the one whom we need. Uh, A few weeks ago, we looked at the first part of this prayer and talked about what it means to approach God as our Father. And we saw that as children of God, those who have believed in Jesus Christ and been adopted in the family of God, we now have this incredible access to God in prayer. We can approach the Lord of the universe as if He were our Daddy. Uh, we, We come to Him as our Father. And because He is our Father, we can come eagerly. We can come confidently because we're coming to our Father. But Jesus here also reminds us that God is our Father who is in heaven. That that He's the King. And so we also have to approach Him reverently. Which is where this comes in, this idea of hallowing God's name. So what we're going to talk about this morning is what does that mean really? What does it mean to hallow God's name? And what would it look like in practice for me to hallow God's name? And then why should I even do that? All right, so, so first of all, what does it mean? Hallowed be your name. All right, that's not a word we use a whole lot anymore. This, this word hallow, what does that mean? Uh, to hallow God's name means to, to praise God's name, to prize God's name, to show reverence for his name, 
uh, to treat His name as holy. Psalm 29, ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. And the word for glory there carries this idea of weightiness. So God's name is weighty. And we treat His name accordingly. The third commandment tells us don't misuse God's name. Uh, and the, the Jews took this so seriously that they wouldn't even say God's name that He revealed to, to them Yahweh. They wouldn't even say that. And that's kind of over the top, but you can see that they took his name seriously. They took his name seriously. Now, what's the, what's the big deal with a name? What's the big deal with a name? Uh, you and I, you know, generally we don't take names very seriously. Our, our names don't have much of an impact on our lives. Um, you know, unless you're the boy named Sue in the, in the Johnny Cash song, then it doesn't impact you much. Uh, when Susan and I were choosing our children's names, we didn't put a whole lot of thought into this other than, you know, to, to try to find names that, that we kind of liked and liked the sound of them. Other than Will's case. Now, Will's, his first name is actually John. And there's a reason for this. That's a very unique name. There's a, there's a reason for this. My first name is actually John. And I have two uncles whose first name is John. And both of my grandfather's first names were John, but none of us go by John. <laughs> we all go, that's right, we, we all go by our middle names. Why? I, I would really like to know. Nobody knows. It's, it's, just, this, it's just this thing. Uh, I'm known as John to substitute teachers and doctors and pharmacists everywhere. But, um, but anyway, the, the point is, we don't tie that much significance to a name. We don't tie that much significance to a name. That's not the case in the Bible. In the Bible, a person's name is supposed to somehow in, encapsulate what their character is going to be. It's very tied up with the person themselves. It represents who they are in ways that we don't really think about. So God's name is meant to express God's character in ways that, that we don't fully grasp. It really represents Him. And so you hear the Bible saying things like this, Psalm 20, may the name of the God of Jacob protect you. Uh, or Psalm 115, not to us, O Lord, but to your name be the glory. Psalm 54, save me, O God, by your name. So when we pray, hallowed be thy name, we're praying that God's name and God himself would be praised and prized and worshipped and reverenced considered weighty by by us and by other people as well we want to see people who don't hallow god's name become people who do hallow god's name so um what what would that look like then practically what would it look like for us to hallow god's name Uh, we're going to talk about doing it in our prayers obviously but a couple of the ways we hallow god's name are in our speech uh, everyday speech in our lives think about how we can hallow god's name in our speech Uh, That means that we don't use God's name lightly. We don't use it as a pseudo-cuss word. Uh, We try to be cognizant that our words, the words that we use, are words that bring glory to our Father. Ephesians 5 tells us that obscenity and foolish talk and coarse joking are improper for God's people. Instead of these, what should be flowing from our lips is thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. We are to, to speak in a way... 
that should show that, that we want to hallow God's name. We hallow it with our words. And so just a question to think about, do, do your words, the things you say in, a day-to-day, in day-to-day life, do they bring honor to God? Does your speech bring honor to God? Secondly, we hallow God's name with our lives. Uh, there was a commercial several years ago. Some of you may remember this. It was a Budweiser commercial featuring this guy named Leon. He was a self-obsessed football player. Uh, and, and Leon always wanted to make sure that Leon looked good. He was concerned with Leon's honor and Leon's glory. And after being told, Leon, look, man, there ain't no I in team. He said, yeah, but there ain't no we either. He was, he was, he was always obsessed with himself. He wanted to make a name for himself. And, you know, we like, oh, I wish poor people like that. Why am I like that? Like, we've, we've got that running in our blood as well, this desire to make a name for ourselves. I have, to, I have to fight it in preaching. Am I preaching for God's glory? Am I preaching to make a name for myself? You know, why is it so hard if I do something around the house? I want to make sure that Susan notices. Like, you can't just do it and, and just go on about your business. You want to make sure that it's seen that you did it so that you can be praised for what you've done. We want our names to be praised. We really, when you drill down into it, we would, we would like to be king. We would be king and have everybody serve us, which kind of is the essence of our rebellion in Scripture when you think about it, because we are made not for everything to revolve around us, but we are made to be part of those who revolve around God, uh, that our lives bring Him glory and honor. And so to hallow God's name would be for me in my life to be less concerned with me being in the center of things and more concerned with God being in the center of things. That I'd be less concerned with my name and my honor and my glory and what you think about me and more concerned with God's name and God's honor and God's glory and that you think well of Him. And so we confess that, we confess our failing in that and pray that God would help us to hallow His name. But we need to realize that when we pray that, we're, we're really praying that God would kind of come into our lives and start putting things to death. That God would come into our lives and start teaching us self-denial. That God would come into our lives and teach us what it means to take up our cross and to follow Him. Because we're asking Him, when, when I say, hallowed be thy name, I'm asking God, God, would you help me get rid of my me-first uh, preoccupation and help me to serve you and serve others? And that means He's got to come in and kill a lot of the selfishness within me and that's not always a very pleasant process but it's in the midst of that where our Christianity really becomes real and you know if it's if it's phony it may be that we're not submitting ourselves to that process so to hallow God's name is to be concerned with God's name God's glory in our in our speech in our lives uh, and then we're going to we need to do that in our prayers also we need to do that in our prayers also. And if you think about it, if the fundamental problem with me is that I'm kind of turned in on me, then how health-giving would that be for me to spend time consciously turning away from myself and focusing on someone else? So what does it, what does it mean for us to hallow God's name when we pray? Well, what I think it has to do with our attitude, the way that we approach God when we pray. That we're coming to our Father, that we're coming to our Father who's in heaven. That we're coming to the Creator, 
that we're coming to the king, that we're coming to the judge of, of all the earth. We're coming to the holy one. He's not your buddy. He's not the, the big guy upstairs. Um, and so we come as children who can have permission to crawl into our father's lap, but we also have to balance that with this idea that our God is pictured in Scripture as a consuming fire. And so whether we bow our knees or not when we pray, and we'll talk about that in a minute, we certainly come to him with bowed hearts. Um, and, and the best way I can picture this is this. I want my children to come to me freely, to run to me, uh, to not be afraid to come to me with anything, but I do want them to come to me in a respectful manner. And so likewise, we, as children of God, we are free to run to him with anything because he loves us and welcomes us, but we do come to him in a respectful manner, appropriate to who he is uh, as God. So our attitude, we also hallow God's name with the words that we use in prayer. And if you've grown up in church, you've probably heard that um, uh, acronym, Acts, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. It's kind of a useful way to, to break up your prayers. When we talk about hallowing God's name, we're thinking specifically of this adoration component of our prayers, about praising God when we pray, about talking to God about God when we pray, about telling God how great He is, uh, about contemplating God's characteristics and attributes before Him in prayer. Now, I think if we were honest, most of us would say that that's the, the hardest part of our prayers. That that can seem very um, forced at times. That can seem very foreign to us. Uh, and if you think about it, that's sad because think about how easily we talk about someone we're in love with. Or think about how easily we talk about a, a, a subject that we enjoy. Uh, or a movie that we've seen that we really liked. Or a professional athlete. Those of you who are... Uh, sports radio people, Colin Cowherd like has the biggest man crush on LeBron James. And he can just he can just talk about him forever and ever and ever. We we talk about things that we love, but when it comes to to, to praising God, suddenly oh, it gets it gets harder for us. And we can kind of look at a prayer list and we can and pray these prayers of supplication. Uh, that's that's more of a like when we, we can do that. But when it comes to praising God, that's more difficult. It should be the first thing we do when we pray, but it's often the hardest for us to get into. So let me, I want to give just kind of some practical helps to that. I don't want to beat us up about that. I want us to kind of just all say, yes, that's hard, okay? We're bad at this, most of us anyway. What are some things we can do to kind of help in this praising of God when we pray? Let Let me give you a few. Number one, uh, the shorter catechism on this question says that when we pray, hallowed be thy name, we pray that God would enable us and others to glorify him. So part of what we're doing is we're saying, God, help me to do this. I would rather sleep in. I would rather watch HDTV. I, it is easier for me just to bring my grocery list of requests to you than it is to praise your name. W- would you help me? to do this so ask for help secondly uh, sing Uh, singing is is a form of prayer Uh, use one of your favorite hymns Uh, take the uh, I'm constantly saying take this home with you look through these hymns that we sing sing some of these 
Trees were killed so that you could have these bulletins. Oh, come on, that was kind of funny. Um, take, take these home with you and, and use these. Uh, use them in your family for worship. Use them privately for worship. You know, why is it that we're so self-conscious about singing? Talk to God about that. Ask Him to help you. But this can be a great way for you to enter in to praise is simply, and it doesn't have to be these songs, but these songs that help you to worship God. Uh, one of somebody was sharing in our community group a week or two ago how there was a time in their lives when, when their heart was not very soft to God, and one of the ways things God used to soften their heart was just them spending time praising God and singing to God. And that was one of the things that God really used in their lives. So sing. Sing. Don't, don't just check this off. Go home and sing. I'm going to check up on you. Um, third, you, use the Psalms. Use the Psalms to help you to praise God. You know, you don't have to be original, okay? God's not sitting there going, well, he didn't write this himself. Um, go and, and use the Psalms. It's a book of divinely inspired prayers. And often, usually our call to worship is taken from a psalm that's a psalm of praise or a portion that's a psalm of praise. So use the psalms as part of your prayer and just use that. Say, God, I'm not very good at this praise stuff. I'm going to take this psalm and I'm going to pray through this this morning. Use the psalms. Uh, number four, I think. Uh, consider your posture when you pray. Consider your posture when you pray. Uh, do you ever kneel when you pray? You know, we're, we say we're God's servants. Do we ever bow? I know that's not a thing in our culture, really. It's kind of foreign to us. But do we ever, do we ever bow and show that we're his servants? Daniel 6. Three times a day, Daniel got down on his knees to pray, giving thanks to God. Psalm 95. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Do you ever, do you ever kneel? When you pray, do you ever raise your hands when you pray? Now I know, like the, everybody that's kind of come to grace from a, a more charismatic background is going to love this part. Everybody that's like from a more traditional Presbyterian background is going to hate this part, um, and so it'll kind of freak you out. But but even if if you don't raise your hands here, and and please feel free to do so. Uh, we need more of that. Even if you don't raise your hands here, uh, why not do that in private? For your private devotion. Psalm 63. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will sit around. No, in your name, I will lift up my hands. In your name, I will lift up my hands. The psalmist raises his hands to communicate praise, to communicate thanksgiving. Uh, at other times in the scripture, the raising of the hands communicates a, a, a Sense of oh, it's a way of expressing great need. God, would you hear? God, would you help? Do you ever raise your hands in prayer? You say, I don't, I don't, ah, that's weird. I don't feel like it. My heart's not into it, and I don't want to be fake. Listen to what John Calvin said about that. For why do men lift their hands when they pray? Is it not that their hearts may be raised at the same time to God? Uh, Eugene Peterson put it this way, you can lift up your hands regardless of how you feel. It is a simple motor movement. 
You may not be able to command your heart, but you can command your arms. Lift your arms in blessing. Just maybe your heart will get the message and be lifted up also in praise. And then I actually stumbled on this last night as I was reading. It's from a book called Liturgy of the Ordinary. Uh, And in it, the author is, is quoting a guy named Stanley Hauerwas. And he says... If one wants to learn to pray, one had better know how to bend the body. Learning the gesture and posture of prayer is inseparable from learning to pray. And then the writer says this, Soon after seminary I found to my horror that I couldn't pray. Suddenly words which had always come so easily fell flat. I had been through a hard year with an unwanted move, a broken relationship with a close friend, and a painful delay in my hopes for motherhood. I was hurt and grieving and could not find the words to invite God into deep places where I longed for Him to meet and mend me. I felt like my words were a sad, deflated balloon, tangled in branches, lifeless, stuck, and limp. In the midst of this, though, words failed me. Prayer without words, prayer in and and through my body became a lifeline. I couldn't find words, but I could kneel. I could submit to God through my knees, and I'd lift my hands to hold up an ache, a fleshy, unnameable longing that I carried around my ribs. I'd offer up an aching body with my hands, my knees, my tears, my lifted eyes. My body led in prayer and led me... All of me eventually, even my words, into prayer. Into prayer. Consider your posture when you pray. Now look, we're, we're not New Spring. We're not some charismatic church. We're never going to be that. But, but at least think about this. When you're at home and you're trying to read your Bible and pray and you're sitting at the kitchen table and you're almost, you give yourself a concussion because you fall asleep and you hit your head on the table so hard, at least consider... Maybe I should consider a different posture for this. Maybe I should get my body involved in prayer. And don't miss what Eugene Peterson said. Don't let your feelings rule you in this. Sunday mornings, a lot of times you're tired. You don't want to really do this. You don't really be here. But you come and then you get here and you get into it. And and what your body has started, your heart enters into and you begin to actually praise God. Uh, when our kids were younger, Emma would sometimes say, I don't want to play with Will. And I would say, well, play with Will anyway. And sometimes they would just fight, but sometimes they, they would actually, her heart would enter into it and they would begin to enjoy playing together. Sometimes I don't feel like exercising, but I go and exercise and I, I'm glad that I did. I don't feel like kneeling. Kneel. I don't feel like lifting up my hands. Lift up my hands. And maybe my heart, maybe your heart will follow along. Uh, another suggestion about posture. You, didn't, you guys didn't know you're getting all this kind of lesson today. Walk. Walk. Take a, take a prayer walk. Um, I'm, I'm very bad at just like sitting and praying. And so I've got a stack, of, a stack of prayer cards that I'll just take and walk around our neighborhood and use those to help me to pray. Whatever it is for you. Think about your posture and how that can be an aid to praying and in particular to praising God. Um, But one other real thing that might help you to praise God is to think about the different names of God in the Bible. 
um, Prince of Peace, Lamb of God, King of Kings, the Lord our Maker, the Lord will provide, the Rock of Israel, Faithful God. Like, you don't have to say the same, address God in the same way every time. We, it, I don't know if I told this story before, but when I was involved in RUF at Auburn, we would have times where different students would pray. And there's just one guy that would, he would just always say, Father God, about 20 times in his prayers. And me and my roommates would start to count how many times he said this. So, so I, like, I don't encourage this. Um, we weren't very sanctified at the time. But we weren't really praying. We were just going, one, two, three. So the scripture gives you a multitude of ways to address God, which can really enliven your prayer life. So, so, so think about that uh, as you pray. So how in God's name? We talk about what it means. We talk about what it looks like. Uh, I, I just gave you hopefully some practical helps to, to doing that, especially in prayer. I want to close this way with why. Why should I orient my life and my words and my prayers towards declaring the greatness of God? Well, number one, I think the children catechism puts it best because he made me and takes care of me. Because he made me and takes care of me. Uh, Romans 11, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. We're created to live for God's glory. Like that's, that's what you're wired for. That's what you're made for is to praise God. And to live in any other way is actually counterproductive and, and, and leads to bad things and not to good things. We're kind of like Edmund in the Chronicles of Narnia. who We're convinced that the Turkish delight and following the white witch will be good for us. But it's not. It ultimately brings death and destruction. We're made not to run from God. We're made not to receive glory for ourselves. We're, we're made to reflect God's glory and to bring glory to Him. Uh, secondly, we live for God's glory because Jesus did. Uh, Jesus in the garden, now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. We live for the Father's glory because He was concerned with us when we didn't give a rip about His glory. We, we were all about our own glory, and God sent Jesus to rescue us and change us into people who might glorify Him, who might declare His praises. And so we live for His glory because of the salvation that we've been given. We live for God's glory because it's good for us. Because it's good for us. Bowing before God and, and praising Him, submitting your life to Him is, is actually sanctifying. It reminds us that, that this is all about God and not about me and my comfort and my desires. Um, I, I'm very aware of how my grumbling spirit can infect our entire household. Uh, our, our grumbling and our discontent it's not pleasing to God, and it winds up infecting the people around us. Jonathan Edwards says that praise creates a heavenly atmosphere in a home, and complaining makes our homes more like hell. You know, what's the atmosphere of your home right now? How much of that maybe has to do with lack of praise? Praise is good for us. And then the last thing I'll say, praise is good for us because it drives away the enemy. I want to read 
We don't read from Chronicles a lot, so I want to give Chronicles some attention this morning. Second um, Chronicles chapter 20, verse 18. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites, the Kohathites, and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah, and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. So here's these armies coming against God's people. God says, go out and sing praises to me. And one army basically defeats the rest of them and then turns and they destroy each other. Um, Listen to what Doug Kelly said about this. They began to praise the beauty of God's holiness and an extraordinary thing happened. As they began to sing and to praise this glorious God, his power fell and the soldiers and the enemy army began to destroy one another. You say, why did this happen? How indeed could a thing like that happen? I believe the key is given in Psalm 22 which says, But you are holy who inhabit the praises of Israel. In other words, when God's people praise Him, there's a sense in which a special presence falls from heaven with power to expel evil. It is said that the devil hates to hear singing and that he cannot sing a single note. As God's people sing and praise Him and His Son and the Holy Spirit, His presence can fall as it did into the enemy camp. In our own battles also, Satan can be expelled by singing. By singing. You didn't think singing was that big a deal. It's really a big deal. Maybe consider that the next time you're in the midst of temptation and trial. That maybe what I need to do is take out the hymnal and sing and praise God. Well, can you imagine the effect in the lives of God's people it would have if we were serious about praising Him with our words? in our lives, in our prayers. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we confess to you uh, that we're not very good at this, that uh, we're much more quick to come and to bring you our list than we are simply to admire who you are to think about your glory and greatness. Uh, Father, thank you for the helps that you've given us in Scripture, especially in the Psalms. Thank you for the people that you've gifted down through the uh, years to write these hymns that we can sing as prayers of praise to you. Uh, Father, I pray that 
you would make us a people who sing these songs not just uh, on Sunday morning, but who learn to sing them uh, all through the week, and that we would see you come in great power uh, and drive away Satan as we do this. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.